Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You done with your Oreo? <laughs> yeah, done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, do you really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm a murdery thingy thingy. Okay, are you ready? Uh, yes. Are you ready? Yeah, dude, I've been ready. I've done been ready. Uh, I just got ready. Okay, let's. I think we've, we've, we've gotten into a routine, you know. We, we do our let's write up and then we go. Relax. Ooh, okay, are not you going to fall asleep what? during this? Yep. <laughs> this is going to be the nap right episode. Back in the middle of the episode. <laughs> Welcome to the very exciting mystery murdery thingy where we mm, fucking fall asleep. My name is Chloe. My name is mm, Mario. Oh, that was frustrating. Mm. Um, okay, Mario. <laughs> are What's you up? doing a mystery, a murdery, murdery or a th- oh? It'd be murdery this week. It'd be murdery. Yes. Mine's not murdery. Mine's a straight up mystery. Why do we we tend to do I like a mix, but we never talk about it. What do you mean? Like usually you'll do something murdery and I won't, or I'll do something murdery oh, and you won't. Yeah. But it's not like we coordinate. Because yeah. we're not that coordinated. We just like it happens to be that. Yeah, way. I don't really like you that much, so it's You're funny. like, okay, you know, it's like whatever. Yeah, you're just kind of here, you know. I only hear <laughs> I only you're only here because I can only afford four fifty for rent. So right, it's the full right. nine hundred. You know, like it I does. Guess. You know, it makes it much more affordable. Yeah, true, I mean true, that's true. the only reason you're here. <laughs> okay, to be honest, I'm just right. <laughs> Couples counseling on the air. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, should we should we jump into it? Yeah. Am I going to go, go first? first? Or? You sounds like you want to go first. I mean, if you were just going to jump into it, I had no. I had no preference, so why don't you go ahead? Great. Go ahead, So pal. I'm going to do I'm something. Here for you. Mur- thank you so much. <laughs> Love you. Uh, something murdery, like I said, and uh, specifically I'm going to be covering, um, just kind of briefly, the uh, murder that's come to be known as the White Mischief Murder. Um, <laughs> I'm <laughs> sorry. What I just... <laughs> nothing. No, what, what? I just thought of, like... <laughs> Like apparently, there's also like a vodka called White Mischief. So, oh nice, <laughs> or something like that. I thought of just like white people and like. Yep. It's I don't know uh, why I immediately <laughs> thought of white people. Well, it's about white people. That's specifically why it's called it, the White Mischief. Well, Isn't everything so. about white people today, Mario? Um, per, pretty much. Also in 1941, when also, this happened. Especially in 1941. <laughs> don't also, you know? also in Kenya. Where these white people were being fucking terrible. So let's get into it. So the reason this kind of came to my attention was because some uh, more recent news reports from like uh, 2007 um, claimed that this murder has been solved. But um, Mm. we'll kind of see that there's still like some some mystery and a lot of uh, intrigue to this case. There's there's a reason to talk about it. It's like Agatha Christie, but real life. If you ever, like, watch or read Agatha Christie. So anyway, picture it. Kenya. (laughs) Early, early on the morning of January 24th of 1941. Most Americans can't picture Kenya. We're two. It's, it's, It's out in the dark, in this deserted crossroads, on this sort of intersection of two roads between Nairobi and Ngong. 
and the Right Honorable Jocelyn Hay, 22nd Earl of Errol, Baron of Kilmarnock, and High Constable of Scotland, wow. all of those things, was on his way home from dropping off the married woman that he'd just had sex with. Nice. Yes. I mean, no. Bad. Um, <laughs> yes. So, such was life for the, yes, white and mainly British aristocrats, um, some might say scum, yeah, whatever, um, living very high off the hog in the so-called Happy Valley. They were called the Happy Valley set. So for Sounds decades, like uh, so, so it sort of was, um, they, they had been, you know, a group of rich and very rowdy hedonists, uh, the non-parial of hedonists. Um, and of course they'd been oppressing the locals, you know, at de rigueur for Dutch or English or whomever who's making, you know, been worming their way into power in Africa for, you know, 100 years at that point. Mm -hmm. um, as per usual as well, Lord Errol, the victim, um, typically had at least one mistress, if not more, um, in addition to his wife, um, although he was a widower at this point. Um, usually, the mistress was someone else's wife, by the way. Um, <laughs> reportedly, Lord Errol's personal motto, unofficial, was, unofficial. quote, to hell with husbands, close quote. Okay. So, just to not to put a too fine a point on it, but, yeah, he's gonna sleep with your wife. That's <laughs> essentially, that's what it comes down to. And uh, most recently, um, before his untimely death... Timely, some might say, I guess. Um, Mario. No, you, you'll see. You'll agree with me by the end. Don't worry. Um, he was not a good person. Don't worry. <laughs> this is like a victim. Yes, everyone's a person. No one deserves to die, but he, he wasn't a very good person. So, um, most recently, Lord Errol's eye um, had been quite taken uh, by a new addition to the Happy Valley set. Um, the young, uh, I think she was 26, 28, something like that, um, and newly married Lady Diana Broughton. And she had just married the 30 years older Sir Jock Delves Broughton oh. and moved to Happy Valley uh, in Kenya uh, soon thereafter. And she and Lord Errol very quickly struck up a romance um, under the not very attentive nose of Diana's husband, Sir Broughton. Um, apparently, yes, well, if you've ever heard the word cuckold, it's a, it's a bit of a impolite term, but it does apply in this instance quite nicely. Um, not long after this romance started, you know, started going, uh, reportedly Diana told Sir Broughton that it was over, that she would invoke this very strange clause in their prenuptial agreement that allowed her to divorce uh, Sir Broughton and still receive seven years of alimony if she fell in love with a younger man and decided to leave him of her own volition. This is kind of strange, right? But it was there, written down in a contract they both signed, so okay. whatever. Um, and the, the very dashing, and yes, younger than Sir Broughton, uh, with Lord Errol was, was the man you know that she decided to leave him for. Um, not very long after she had married Sir Broughton. She also had a bunch of husbands in her life. She was married like four or five times. Sir Broughton was the one who's 30 years older than her? Yes. Okay. Yes. He is the cuckolded husband, much older, who's there sort of figuring this out, right? That this aye, is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, over the course of the, the days and weeks, right? So Sir Broughton um, seemed to, you know, when he did kind of figure things out, right, take his stunning new wife's change of heart, right, toward Lord Errol, uh, 
quite in stride, in, in, in good humor, it seemed. He even had dinner with her, Lord Errol, and another friend of theirs, I believe, at the Mutaiga or Mutaiga Club in Nairobi on the night of January 23rd, right? The night before, of course, Lord Errol's friend dead. And even toasted the, the new couple with champagne and said, you know, I, I bless your union. Wow, it's what okay a with snarky me. piece of shit. <laughs> it's, it's weird, right? But it's not that out of the norm for the Happy Valley set. Like, okay. people sleeping with each other's wives, polyamory was, like, almost required there, right? That's kind of, like, how it went. Um, yeah, exactly. You're making a face. Not in a good way. This isn't... I shouldn't say polyamory, because it, it was, I'm sure... I was like, I feel like polyamory is consensual. Right, right, right. This <laughs> and was... we don't know how much of this was consensual. Exactly. We can't say. Exactly. No, no, I'm sure it was more, um, exploitative in a lot of instances. Ooh. You know, one way or the other. Um, so, like I said, the next day, January 24th, Lord Errol is found dead. His body stuffed under the steering wheel of his car, oh. actually. On that lonely crossroads between Nairobi and Ngong, um, in, uh, you know, Kenya, uh, Lord Errol had been shot in the back of the head, right behind his ear. Suicide! Uh, right, of course. No. Um, police had also found some inexplicable sort of white scuff marks on the, the, the floor on the back of the car. They, did, they never figured out what it was, but we'll, it may have been figured out later on. Um... Anyway, suspicion quickly fell on Sir Broughton, of course, right? Once they figured out, okay, he had been sleeping with us, this guy's wife, he just found out, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's get, pick him up. But let's just briefly, very, very briefly cover some other suspects that came up, uh, sort of at, at least in rumor and stuff. So, um, for a, a time, Lady Diana, Diana Broughton herself, um, the wife, you know, was, uh, thought to may have been, have, have done it, um, um, not totally clear why she would have, but that was something that came up. Um, another member of the Happy Valley set, you know, was a suspect. Just anyone else who may have been pissed off at Lord Errol, because, again, he was carousing yeah. with everyone. He was not well-liked amongst a lot of people. So he had a lot of enemies. You know, a lot of people had a motive for killing him. Um, or perhaps even someone from the British Secret Service. And this is where you're going to... He's not a good person. Um, angered by Lord Errol, the victim's Nazi sympathies. Ah, yep, shit. he was a Nazi sympathizer. No. Yep, he was there with R Rudolf Hess, and yeah, he 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 would have if he had had Ooh. his way, Britain probably would have been on the other side. Let's I say that. I thought he was going to be like a little annoying rich kid, not like <laughs> no. a fucking Nazi sympathizer. <laughs> He's a full-on Nazi sympathizer, reportedly. That makes my stomach hurt. <laughs> I know, right? So yeah. Um, um, but all, all those other, you know, uh, possible uh, uh, perpetrators were sort of dismissed fairly quickly. And the trial of Sir Broughton commenced soon, pretty soon thereafter. So, oh. strangely, though, Lady Broughton, right, Diana, the, the mm -hmm. lover of the yes. victim, the yes. wife of the accused, didn't testify. She just wasn't there. During the trial, was she called? No, to was never called to testify. Okay, um, so what? I yeah, well, there there were some irregularities. So okay. the trial created a huge sensation, um, especially back in England, where the populace was suffering under the bombing of the Nazi Luftwaffe, right? The bombing of London and so forth, um, and didn't appreciate quite, you know, hearing about the lascivious and wasteful and like. This, all this crazy shit going on down in Africa that these British royals are doing, right? I'm here, like, getting fucking bombed and paying 20 bucks for a loaf of bread, 
Whereas, you know, this guy's living it up in Canada. Yeah, what the hell? What, what's going on? And sleeping with each other's wives and the whole deal, right? Likewise, they were, a lot of people, you know, the populace was out, was pretty outraged when Sir Broughton was acquitted pretty quickly for lack of evidence. I mean, yeah. There was a perception that a miscarriage of justice had probably occurred, and that, that sort of um, seems to have been the case, um, as, as we'll see. So, first of all, Sir Broughton's barber, like his personal barber, is like a friend of his, right? Gossip, gossip. Was, was the foreman uh, of the jury. And I think uh, another person also was, like, a friend of his. Uh, so that's, like, very, very strange, right? Um, not great. And, I mean, and, but is it different in the Kenyan, like, system? Or? Well, they would have been under the British system. Oh, okay, okay. Right. There was, there was no Kenyan system uh, that they would have ever been subject to, right? Okay. They, yeah, it was all just British. And no, that, that was not standard practice for most of our practice in terms of law comes from British practice. So like it's, it's no, that, that should not have happened. Um, but I should say in the accused, in the accused, def uh, defense, uh, you know, to, to sort of eg uh, exonerate Sir Broughton possibly right was that he did have a pronounced limp that seemed to preclude him being able to shoot Lord Errol and then get without a car. Cause there were no car tracks found around. Right. From there, from the the crime scene to a house where uh, Sir Broden was seen checking on a, a drunk friend that that they had had mm -hmm. dinner with the night before, right? Who was known to drink way too much, and um, I think he he was there like thirty minutes or something after the crime occurred. So they were like, well, he couldn't have done it and gotten there, so then it couldn't possibly be him, right? However, a year after Sir Broden was acquitted and released. Um, he killed himself oh, in the Adelphi Hotel in Liverpool uh, from a lethal dose uh, of morphine, oh, which obviously would seem to suggest consciousness of guilt. Um, or just... I mean, at that point, he had lost being his in a murder wife trial. and been accused. I mean, sure, it could be. Um, however, what, what kind of further substantiates that it probably was him um, was Ooh. that there was reportedly um, several interviewed uh, uh, tapes um, produced in the late 80s or at least partly then that um, but not revealed until 2007 oh. where it was revealed according to those people definitively that Sir Broughton was the murderer and that he did kill Lord Errol on that January back in 1941. Um, now, I should say there were no eyewitnesses to the murder. No one's claiming to have seen it, per se. And there was no physical evidence ever found to link Sir Broughton to the murder itself. But, like I said, people on on that those series of tapes described um, by the writer Christina Nichols in, in a book around that time, uh, around 2007, claimed to have been told what really happened on that, that night back by in who? 1941. I'll, I'll kind of get into it. Um, it's essentially some neighbors, right? So, um, originally, the, uh, I should say these tapes from 1987 were passed um, by another author, Mary Edwards, who actually took the, the tapes, but they weren't revealed later because the people on the tapes didn't want them to be until they were long dead. Because they were accusing famous, you know, these like high-ranking people yeah. of murder, right? So um, the people on the tape, which uh, it was, it was essentially like the children of some of the neighbors who were around at the time, oh. claimed to know that while Lord Errol had dropped off Diana, Sir Broughton, right, the accused murderer, had snuck into the back of the car 
unbeknownst to Lord Errol. So they're, whatever, ki- kissing goodnight, right? And Sir Broughton's sneaking through the dark. What? Opening up the back door, getting in, slowly, carefully closing it, and hunching down and waiting for Lord Errol to get to that crossroads out in the middle of nowhere so you could shoot him in the head. I'm afraid that's going to happen to me. Um, I check the back of my car pretty much every time I get in it because I'm kind of, I've seen that in way too many movies and stuff. Like we were talking the other day, like I don't trust humans. Um, so after, you know, allegedly Sir Broughton had killed Lord Errol out at that crossroads, leaving those white scuff marks with, um, his white plimsoll shoes, Mm. apparently this particular type of shoe that would have left that. Um, he was picked up by Dr. Ethan Phillip. Okay. To whom Sir Broughton had given a large sum of money to mm-hmm. pick him up a little bit of a ways away from here. And apparently he, uh, according to these tapes, had planned the whole thing very carefully. Had allowed his wife to go out on this date with Lord Errol, right? Told her, okay, be back by this certain time so he could be waiting up, get in the car, and then told this other guy to meet him, you know, a little bit down the road, a little bit later, and then he could be seen at this house soon thereafter to give him an alibi. So it was all, like, very carefully planned, you know, premeditated, one might say. Um, Although, of course, like I said, he was eventually acquitted. And it wasn't ever clear, really, how much Dr. Philip knew, the, the guy who drove him, but... I mean, how could you not have figured that out afterwards, at least, right? It's like, he he knew, you know. But anyway, um, the tapes give some more tantalizing, if unprovable, details. And and uh, specifically, particularly, these come for uh, Juanita Carberry, who was the 15-year-old, at that time, daughter of the Broughtons, uh, neighbor um, who had supposedly visited Sir Broughton's house the day of the murder on January 24th. Um, and encountered a, quote, tense, unquote, atmosphere, and Lady Broughton crying uncontrollably. Um, And I just want to read kind of an extended quote from The Telegraph, um, including that author Christina Nichols describing what happened next. Quote, A servant came in to say there was a fire in the garden on the manure heap. Juanita saw clothes burning and a pair of good white plimsolls (gasps) smoldering on top, says Nichols. Shocked at the waste, Juanita suggested they be given to an African servant, but Delves Broughton, Sir Broughton, dismissed the idea. It was the white rubber soles of the plimsolls that had made the mysterious marks inside the car. Nichols has spoken extensively to Juanita, who is now in her 80s, and lives in a flat in Chelsea. She has said that two days later, Delves Broughton told her not to be surprised if the police turned up to arrest him for the murder of Errol. Juanita was very taken aback and said, Oh, no, you you couldn't have done that, uh, says Nichols. Uh, Quote, Delves Broughton's response was a deadpan. But I did. What? And I have just dropped the gun over the bridge into the river at Thika. Close quote. Did they buy the gun? No. And, well, someone did, yes. uh, Several people. But it kind of went through a bit of a journey. So... According to the tapes, right, the gun was dropped into the river, right, after uh, before Lord Errol had apparently confessed to this girl uh, for some reason. And Ego. then um, a di- I think a different person or him, I, I can't remember exactly, I didn't write the whole timeline down, but someone got nervous about this, right, and was like, oh shit, they're going to find it, right, if you just throw it in the river. Um, so they had a servant go and fish it out of the river, and then they took it uh, to this town like... Uh, far away from there um, and hit it in a ceiling 
And then later when they were doing, um, like repairs on that room or something, uh, a worker found it and brought it to the people who owned the hotel. And then I think it was taken by Sir Broughton out, um, uh, on, on a, like a deep sea diving boat out to very deep ocean and dropped in the ocean where it, you know, ostensibly still is today. Yeah, exactly. What? But it was never recovered by police. Um, this is all hearsay. It's just what people are saying. This is all pure hearsay. I, I, yes, it's good to underline that this is sort of the definition of hearsay, right? This person told me that someone yeah. told them. Yeah. So it's this is not evidence, I'm, and this is why it's still a mystery, right? Um, and this is why essentially I found that it had enough mystery for us to talk about it, but yeah, but lots, mainly because it's still it's very intriguing. Lots of hearsay. So anyway, that's that's pretty much it. Um, but yeah, like I said, a little bit of of uh, mystery still surrounds it. Um, and that's the, the White Mischief Murder. Although there's another murder also called the White Mischief Murder that happened later that was sort of compared to this one. Um, but, but anyway, that one's not a mystery, I don't think. So my sources are the Daily Mail, an un- unsigned article, Judith Woods, The Telegraph, Michelle Fall at LA Times, and of course Wikipedia, uh, the Jocelyn Hay 22nd Earl of Errol page, the Jock Delves Broughton page, and the Happy Valley Set page. And uh, just because I haven't done it in a, a, a long time, I think, uh, I just wanted to shout out a particular place uh, that's been listening to us, because, of course, I, I look at this yes, obsessively. I do not. It Wooloo freaks me Wooloo, out. Wooloo Mooloo, Australia. That we've got nice. at least one consistent listener I've been seeing from there, and I just wanted to say that name because it's funny, and I like saying it. Wooloo Mooloo. So, Mario, when are you going to take me to Kenya? Right. Wait, when are you going to take me <laughs> to Australia? When are you going to take me to Australia? <laughs> Okay, let me get in the mode here in the podcasting. (laughs) Okay. Damn it. Are you there yet? (laughs) Yes. Good. So, (laughs) I am doing, it's called, okay, so this is a mysterious extortion case, which you wouldn't think would be mysterious, but it is. Interesting. Is that, I think that might be a new kind of mystery from us. Uh, well, when you don't know who's doing the extorting. Yeah. And Interesting. You, it, people don't, don't we've know. we've never talked about anything like that before. Yeah, this is crazy. So this is the Glico Morinaga case, officially named Metropolitan Designated Case 114, the story of kidnapping, extortion, and attempted murder. So the entire ordeal went on for about 17 months and the person, the the man or men or people, a group, who knows? They. We don't know. Total mystery. It starts with a kidnapping. So this series of attacks against two Japanese candy companies began with the kidnapping of Katsuhisa Izaki, the president of a multi-million dollar confectionery company called Glico. So Glico is based in Osaka, Japan. Um, they sell like candies, ice cream, puddings. They sell like even hamburger meat, stuff like that. I don't mm. know. Um, on March 18th of 1984, two men broke into Izaki's home. Uh, before taking him, the men first broke into his mother's home next door, tied her up, and took the keys. And that's how they got into Izaki's home. They cut the phone lines, 
a they tied up his wife and daughter before storming into the bathroom and abducting him. The assailants then took him to an abandoned warehouse. Um, the next day, the kidnappers called the director of, of Glico and they put out a ransom demand of 1 billion yen, which is about uh, 4.2 million dollars in dollars. <laughs> in U.S. dollars? Uh, yes. So there are Canadian dollars and Australian dollars. In U.S. dollars. And 100 kilos of gold bullion. Bullion. <laughs> How do you say it? Bullion, I think. Bullion? <laughs> I don't know why you said it kind of funny at first. I don't How know. Did Bullion. Bullion. Bullion for his safe return. So, but a few days later, Katsuhisa Izaki managed to escape from the warehouse really unharmed. And he oh, shit. Cut the hell out of there. Good for him. Yes. The terror continued, t- continued even after he escaped. Like, everybody, there weren't any leads. Everybody thought it was going to be over. It wasn't. Um, in April, the next month, 10 vehicles sitting parked outside the Glico headquarters were torched and the, all the cars burst into flames and the surrounding area burst into flames and it was, um, um, deliberate act of arson and they don't know who did it. In mid-May, uh, Glico receives a taunting letter in the mail from the perpetrators who signed the letter as the monster with 21 faces. Named okay, so it's actually named after the villain of Edog- Edogawa Rampo's detective novels, and um, it also translates to the mystery man with 21 faces and the phantom of 21 faces. And um, claimed that they had laced numerous packages of Glico candies with cyanide and then Glico had to pull the candy from the shelves, they lost tons of money and they had to cut over 400 employees their stock plummeted um and the candies were tested for cyanide but nothing was ever found and like i said the sales plummeted they lost like 130 million dollars and eventually had to lay off a total of 1,000 employees what year did you say this was 1984 so this was right i can't remember it was right around the same time as the tylenol murders in Chicago, and there were some copycats of that where people did the same thing. They uh, claimed that that they had poisoned or tainted these things, but they hadn't. Yeah. So it's just weird that that was happening like on both sides of the globe around that same time. Humans. Yeah. Um, the Osaka police started receiving taunting letters from the monster. There were around two hundred different officers that were investigating the case, like total. And they virtually had had nothing. And I read a, I actually read a um, a New York Times article. I read a lot of uh, archived uh, New York Times articles. Mm-hmm. Um, that and one of them talked about like the the reputation of police in Japan at the time and how like um, they weren't doing very well. And like a couple mm-hmm. months before. Um, one police officer confessed to shoot and, like, straight up murdering another one and, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the... So, in these letters, they would be demanding huge amounts of cash, but they would never show up to collect it. No one was ever captured, though, and there wasn't really any proof that any money was ever actually accepted in, in the first place, that money actually changed hands. So, it's... It's more of a taunt, 
and then like action they pretend like they're going to take action but nothing happens and like i said the reputation of the police at this time in japan wasn't very good so the letters were um taunting they were saying things like quote poor stupid cops end quote um the newspaper Yamiuri said in an editorial, quote, we do not recall a case in which criminals have made such fools of the police, end quote. <laughs> yeah. Others uh, thought differently, like Hiroshi Shunahara, a deputy director of the Criminal Investigation Bureaus. He said, quote, I don't believe this has damaged public trust in the police and our morale has not been affected, end quote. In June of 1984, the monster wrote more letters to, and this time over to newspapers office, newspaper offices, um, saying that they had, quote, quote, become bored with the affair, end quote, and they were moving on. They claimed that they, like, destroyed the other, the other cyanide lace candies that they, they had. It was a really weird letter, and so, like, Wikipedia page was there but it had a lot of sources that weren't cited mm. and so i never really quoted any of the full letters um except for one from um um um, um from uh, atlas obscura mm -hmm. that was the only one i actually like and i'll read it later but um they were weird and like very braggy and said like um like we have we like or i or we like one of our con not consultants one of our team members one of our people is like a four-year-old and we can't have him crying every time he's like eating candy or something stupid like that <laughs> it, yeah it was it was weird um so come on pal <laughs> i need a new computer <laughs> uh yeah and there was this thing, though, and like I said, uh, this was only on Wikipedia, and, and, and then it was on a different webpage that said Wikipedia was their source, um, about an identified suspect that they called, quote, the fox-eyed man. So the monster claimed to end all this nonsense for 50 million yen. Uh, the plan was to have an employee, and this was kind of confusing between what was wrote on wikipedia and what was wrote on the the other website but basically the plan was to have an employee throw the money into a moving train when like a white flag was displayed however when an investigator who um was like gonna gonna go do it disguised as an employee when he was on a train heading to the drop-off point, he noticed a suspicious man who was observing him and following him. He was described, quote, as a large, well-built man wearing sunglasses, his hair cut short and permed, with eyes like those of a fox, end quote. But like I said, this was only found on Wikipedia, and a lot of citations didn't have any sources. Um, but it was kind of interesting, and they talked about that, that like, money drop, and it was like slightly mentioned in some other articles but it wasn't there wasn't anything about like a fox-eyed man or anything like that and it was also kind of confusing because i couldn't tell if the employee was supposed to be like waiting for the train somewhere and tossing it in or if he was supposed to be on the train tossing it out and then the person on the train 
was looking at him or something like that. And I was like, that doesn't make sense because who's he tossing it out to? But when I, it was really confusing. Yes. It, does it also not make sense that you would see the eyes of someone who's wearing sunglasses? I know, right? He said he's wearing sunglasses <laughs> and he's fox man. Did he like take off his sunglasses and look at him with his fox eyes? Like, I don't know, man. That's strange. It, it was this is a very strange story. That part was definitely the strangest. What actually is going on? That's like the mystery here. <laughs> like, yeah. what the fuck is no actually one knows going what, on? Re- who who these people are or what their why? Was. Exactly. Were they serious? Were they not serious? Did they ever intend to hurt anyone? Well. A few months later, in September of 1984, the uh, the monster called up Morinaga, another popular candy company in Japan, and demanded 100 million yen, about $400,000. Uh, Morinaga didn't comply, they ignored it, and then several weeks later, in October, Morinaga was... Um, Morinaga, as well as hundreds of other Japanese new- newspapers, received a threat in the form of a letter, and this is the one I wrote, quote, or not me, Rope, the one I found that I liked the best to... Never mind. Quote. We don't claim <laughs> to have written things from other sources. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Quote. Two moms throughout Japan. In autumn, when appetites are strong, sweets are really delicious. When you think sweets, no matter what you say, it's Morinaga. We've added some special flavor. The flavor of potassium cyanide is a little bitter. It won't cause tooth decay, so buy the sweets for your kids. We've attached a notice on these bitter sweets that they contain poison. We've put 20 boxes in stores from Hakata to Tokyo. Um, so they had to take all their boxes out. Eventually, 10 boxes of sweets. 10 boxes of sweets from store shelves in Osaka, Kyoto, and Nagoya were removed, and all of them had typewritten labels that read, quote, danger contains poison. You'll die if you eat this. The mysterious man with 21 faces, end quote. Um, And six of them reportedly did contain potassium cyanide. Uh, And one one was uh, a sufficient dosage to be... Um, lethal. Hmm. So what you said, like, I wonder if they actually were playing to hurt people. Maybe they were. Except for the big label, right? And the arson. Oh, that's true. The arson was destruction of property, if nothing else. And the kidnapping. I wonder what they were well, planning to do. But they didn't, it didn't sound, I don't know if it got into this in your sources, but it didn't sound like they beat them up. Or no, and he got away. But he was armed, or not him. Um, the the assailants were armed. Yeah. Okay, so they were serious, semi-serious at least. I mean, it was very well planned. They tied up the mom next door, cut the phone lines, tied up the whole family before even going for Mm. him. You're right. It's not just some like someone doing it for a goof or something. Right. Clearly, there's some organization behind this. But then some of it is like. What? Yeah. I don't know. Um, Investigators started staking out grocery stores and putting surveillance everywhere. It was later reported that a man wearing a baseball cap was caught shelving packs of Glico candy, and he had been caught on security camera, and they confirmed that he was suspicious-looking and that he also wasn't affiliated with the store. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's really, like... That's really it. I mean, they identified what kind of typewriter was being used to write the the letters, but really nothing else. They had no names. They um, 
So audio from the blackmailing telephone call to Morinaga was eventually released. And on it were the voices of a woman and child demanding money. And investigators even set up like um, a hotline, like special phone lines so that people could call in, listen to it and like give tips and like see if they recognized it. Mm -hmm. um, nothing. Wow. The monster continued to, to taunt other candy companies, d demanding more money here, demanding more money there. But there were no other like serious threats or, or any more action that was taken. I, uh, and the police still at this point didn't have any suspects. There was a sketch of the man in the surveillance video um, was released in January of 1985. But again, there were no serious leads or tips. Uh, and, and so... No one died directly as a result from the monster with 21 faces crimes, right? Um, it could have been something very deadly. Um, however, indirectly was the death of Shoji Yamamoto, and he was the head of the Shiga Prefecture Police. And he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He blamed himself for the entire ordeal. Um, the media was hounding them and all the investigators for some kind of answer. Um, they, they wanted, you know, a suspect in handcuffs now. And he eventually ended up committing suicide by dousing himself with kerosene and lighting himself on fire. Oh, my God. Yeah. Absolutely tragic. Wow. Five days later, the monster sent out his last letter making light of Yamamoto's death, among other things. And he said that, like... We didn't even have any, like, people over in Sh in, in Shiga. Like, why did blah, blah, blah. It was, it was, mm. it was terrible. Um, and they officially, I mean, yeah, they were saying that they were, like, done taunting food-making companies because, quote, we are bad guys. That means we've got more to do than, uh, we've got more to do other than bullying companies. It's fun to lead a bad man's life, end quote. Hmm. So, some, some theories. And like I said, we still don't know who the monster with 21 faces is. Is it one person, a group? And then especially, I mean, for me, it's like, what is what was the motive here? Right. right? Um, That's the big mystery to me, too. Yeah. Some thought it was um, uh, people from the Yakuza, the Yakuza mob. Well, that's what I was thinking, yeah. Uh, which, for those who don't know, is one of the largest crime syndicates in the world. Um, I mean, at the time they had over a hundred thousand people working, you know, working quote unquote employed, um, for them in one way or another, they had a huge hand in the pornography industry in Japan. They got money from bribes, extortion, sex trafficking, drugs, all of it. Um, or it could have been something political, like some extreme white right wing or left wing, um, person trying to act out, um, it could have been disgruntled employees. There was a merger um, not too long before all of this started between two Glico subsidiaries, and a lot of people lost their jobs. And then it could have been um, a, someone with a personal vendetta against uh, uh, Katsuhisa Izaki, you know, who's very multi-millionaire of this huge company, very public figure, um, maybe had some enemies. In total, the police investigated 125,000 people and followed up on 28,300 public tips. Nothing. Wow. Yeah, they did. They looked at alibis and nothing. 
And the monster with 21 faces was kind of just kind of disappeared. Never heard from again. Um, in June of 1995, the statute of limitations ran out. It ran out on uh, the assault and kidnapping of Izaki. So that was never, they never found out who did that. And um, the statute of limitations for attempted murder for like the, the food products, um, that ran out in February of 2000. So, uh, I don't know. It's what, 19 <laughs> years, 20 years? Where's our confession? Where's well, our deathbed confession? It reminds me of the Max Headroom mystery in that way, because it's like, well, why hasn't someone just come forward by now? Like, right. It's, it's you know, a relatively not that big a deal, and, like, it's... Everyone wants to know. Just tell us. I don't know. So, um, my sources was... Um, an article from the Japan Times written in 1999. And, like, I, I did get a little bit of Wikipedia, but, like, I usually get from Wikipedia. Wikipedia knows how to organize things well. And right. So I was, like... Because sometimes with mysteries, I'm like, where do we even start with this? You know? Right. And Wikipedia always has a good structure. So mm -hmm. I usually copy structure from Wikipedia. <laughs> um, Historicmysteries.com article by Doug McGowan. Atlas Obscura article by Kara Giamio. And then... Three different New York Times articles, all by Clyde Haberman. The first one oh. titled "The What?" Uh, just Clyde Haberman's Do the, you know who that the is? father of current writer um, Maggie Haberman, who's like one of the big political writers in the New York Times right now. Wow! So, anyway. Yeah, these were all in the late '90s, mid to late '90s. Sure. Um, uh, the titles: "The Great Candy Caper Leaves All Japan a Twitter." Police in Japan, badges have lost their sparkle, and poison candy found on Japanese store shelves. So, I felt the police in Japan, badges have lost their sparkle one was super interesting because that one was about, like, how Japan police were seen at the time and um, how the Monster with 21 faces, like, um, affected that and all mm -hmm. that kind of good stuff. So, yeah. Interesting. Cool. That's what I've got. Uh, you got some weird shit, shit in, in the, the news. news. Weird shit in the news. In the news. I have, um, I do, it's not weird, it's interesting, and it's <laughs> interesting. Um, <laughs> and it's also interesting. interesting. <laughs> so this is from HuffPost, um, uh -huh. and it's about, like, your phone charger and some safety risks. Okay. So the 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 title of the article is "Woman Suffers Severe Burns After Phone Charger Zaps Her Necklace," and I was like, "How? What? Who? What? How?" Oh. Um, so this 19 year old um, uh, woman uh, in Michigan. So, okay, <laughs> yeah. So it was the it was de the incident was detailed in a case report in the Annals of Emergency Medicine. And that whole thing talks about risk to children and safety concerns about um, charging products. And it was published in July 17, uh, July 17th, and she was taken to the, like, emergency room with a severe burn around her neck. Um, quote, she was, and I was like, how, how, what's the, what is this, what is, what happened? So here's what the report said. It said, quote, she was lying in bed wearing a chain necklace and the charger underneath her pillow and then plugged into an electrical outlet um, when she felt a sudden burning sensation and severe pain around her neck. 
She likely sustained an, an electrical injury from the charger as it came in contact with her necklace, causing a burn. She was released the same day after treatment and was given antibiotics, and that's about it. But uh, uh, they talked they talked about like generic electronic chargers and how mm. like you know it could be risky, right? And I was like, ah, God. yeah. Mm. <laughs> Okay. Like, do we take it seriously? I guess we do. I feel like I we guess, would. Yeah. I mean, me- better safe than sorry, right? Sure. I don't want to But it's just burned. an unusual situation. Like, it I does. wouldn't I would never have thought of that happening to someone. Yeah. But apparently it's possible. Well, my, mine is a little bit funnier well, than that. Well, uh, I want to tell you Mine wasn't about. funny at all. It was just interesting. That's true. <laughs> uh, it's from mine's from Vice, and it's by uh, Jaleesa Castordale. And if, <laughs> thank you, Jaleesa. Uh, we don't know her, and um, if that's a, a woman, I, I, think I just so. like the name. Anyway, it's a good name. Um, titled "Highly Relatable Raccoons Busted for Being Day Drunk in Residential Neighborhood." Nice. Nice. You mean normal Illinois on uh, Saturday <laughs> so, so uh, in actually, October? <laughs> so it's actually in Canada, but, but sure. Um, You're not talking about homecoming, no? <laughs> not, not per se. Um, so, yes, apparently this is a thing that happens, um, especially in this one area. I guess I can't find where it actually is, but anyway. Um, there's this, like this neighborhood where people kept seeing these stumbling around raccoons, uh, sort of looking very intoxicated, and apparently they were. They had been eating crab apples. Um, so if you don't know, fruit, if you just leave it out, right, becomes alcohol. Like, that's fermentation, right? So there are lots of animals who actually get drunk um, doing this just naturally. It's wonderful and a, a beauty what? of nature, right? <laughs> um, these fucking drunk-as-shit <laughs> raccoons stumbling around your yard. Uh, it's the wonders of nature, uh, truly. Um, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> and End that's comment. all I have to say about that. No. Anyway. Forrest Gump? No. Didn't get it. Is that Any- from Forrest Gump? It is. I haven't yeah. seen Forrest Gump in a while. Oh. Good long movie. movie. Very long. Very long movie. <laughs> good, good, uh, yeah, good, good, talk. Good, good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Good talk. Uh, good, uh, good talk. Anywho. Anyway, thanks for listening, y'all. Yes, thank you so much. And uh, don't forget to tell your friends. Tell tell all the people that you know in Wulumulu. Follow us on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, Follow us on all the social media: yes. Facebook, um, Twitter, Mario Text Thirty. If you want to get some uh, political opinions on articles that I read, if you want to <laughs> have a um, a timeline full of links to articles. Do you like the New York Times? <laughs> Do, you Do you like, like NPR? <laughs> Do you like NPR? You might like I, NPR. I quite enjoy NPR. <laughs> NPR is great. As are those other publications. Um, anyway. Anyway. That's it, I think. That's it. Okay. Peace out, Girl Scout. Until next Wednesday. Bye-bye.